0: Today's gonna be fun because I have a female on the show that is in a traditionally male-dominated industry and loving it. I have automotive disruptor and social media influencer, Kelly Stumpy, also known as the car mom. Kelly's family owns the SunTrip dealerships in St. Louis, so let's just say she knows a little bit about the car business. When Kelly became a mom, though, she viewed the car buying process through a different lens, and she instantly knew she could improve the process. So she took to social media and is now busy influencing the car market with over 5 million views of her car tours on YouTube, an Instagram following of nearly 300,000 followers, and a podcast at the top of the Apple charts with her sister Liz SunTrip called The Carpool. Today we're going to chat about what the freak is going on with cars these days and how she went from, I want my social media to be able to pay for the groceries, to bringing home the bacon with a brand that is making a splash in the automotive industry. She's joining us from her desk at the hustling and bustlin' SunTrip BMW. So welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. So I just want to tell a quick story about how I met you. It's actually through your parents. And I met your parents in Greece. We were there on a radio advertising type trip. And my husband and I knew nobody. And in walks your parents. And I turned to my husband, I was like, that's who we're going to hang out with this trip. And he's like, "Who are they?" And I was like, "I have no idea." I said, "But they just look like my people." Oh <laughs> and, my god. And he's <laughs> And he's like, "Okay, so we got paired up on the first night's dinner and sat with your mom Chrissy and your dad Craig and had a great time and became friends and then that's how I met you." And I kind of felt the same way whenever I met you. We're both moms uh working hard and we're both in male dominated industries and love it. like We wouldn't pick it any other way, right? So it's what makes it so much fun and surprising for other people that you're a female in a male-dominated industry. So for the people that don't know, for my listeners that don't know, let's talk about how you became the car mom.
1: Yeah. So I've been in the car business my whole life. So my family owns car dealerships in St. Louis. I started selling when I graduated college loved it. Like just took to it like a fish in water. I was very much, I took after my dad in that way. And I just was kind of a natural at it. So I loved the car buying process. I loved connecting with people. I was super passionate about sales and cars and all the things. And then when I became a mom, I was like, whoa, motherhood in the car business, just like, do not pencil. Like this is a 12 hour A day job, like I'm trying to like breastfeed, like childcare only goes till five. I was like, this is not going to pencil, and I was like, wow, that's such a bummer. Like, I can't believe that like the career I love doesn't mix with motherhood. And it like looking back now, it's so funny because like all I had to do was combine them. Like the answer was literally right in front of me. So I took a step back from sales into some more like operational type things around the dealership. Honestly, like it just wasn't for me. Like I like being a career woman, and now I found myself like sending out mailers. Like it just like, wasn't really what I was passionate about. And it's not what I was good at. Like I felt like I was, I felt like my talent was wasting away. So when I was pregnant with my second daughter, like again, me and my husband were talking, we were penciling how much childcare costs for two kids. And like, I was still working this part-time job, not making any money. And he kind of gave me the idea. He was like, well, why don't you just focus on the moms? Like, I know you miss selling cars. Why don't you just try to sell cars to moms? And the idea was pretty good. Cause I think, but I think he meant like, so this was Tyler's idea. Well, yes, it was inspired by Tyler. Cause he's like, focus on the mom. I said, that's a good idea. I'll go to the park. I'll bring the latest minivan and I'll just try to sell cars to other moms. I'm a mom. It'll all work out. So I just started like reviewing cars that we had on our dealership slots, showing why I think they're a good mom car. Here's how a car seat fits. And just ultimately like trying to save families time. Like I love car dealerships, but I understand that It's not other people's preferred way to spend their Thursday afternoon. So I thought, what if I could just do a quick tour, maybe sell some cars, but also just like show moms what's the bee's needs about the Toyota Highlander. So I started doing this on my Instagram and it just honestly blew up. I mean, I couldn't believe the growth. So I started it in June and once we started to gain some traction, I was like, oh, I think like this could be my career. I was like, okay, by October, I want to try to be at 10,000 followers and I want to be profitable. And I was pregnant during all this, so my daughter was due in October. So I was like, before I go on maternity leave, I want to have 10,000 followers, and I want to be making some, at least a little bit of income. And like the week before she was born, I hit 10,000. And then from October until March, I gained 90,000 new followers, and I went full time with the car mom. It blew up, and so what I do is I review cars for moms and for families. I also became a child passenger, I'm a certified child passenger safety tech, so I'm certified in all things car seat safety because I quickly noticed as I was doing this car and talking about the car seats, I understood like the responsibility. I had to make sure that my information wasn't, was as accurate as possible. Once I realized that families were literally trusting me to tell them which car is safe for their families. So I wanted to do my diligence. I got my child passenger safety certification and yeah, now it's my full-time job. I also do car buying tips and tricks. So like as someone who entered a very male dominated industry, i feel like it really helped me relate to my followers because the same grievances they have about buying cars are the same grievances I had about selling cars. Like, you know, it was like feeling like they're not being taken seriously, feeling like they're getting things mansplained to them, things like that. So I said, I love to share car buying tips to empower women and to empower families on how to get a good deal, what's right, what's not right, and just, you know, make a good decision for their family.
0: So this was all about two years ago? Yeah, it'll be two years in June. Okay, so in two years, you managed to get close to three hundred thousand Instagram followers, or you're at like two hundred and sixty or something like that, and then you have over a million views on your YouTube with sixty thousand followers. It's like five million now, but I need to, I, I, oh, it's five I million. Like that, yeah. <laughs> okay, you need to update your bio then. So five bio. million. I mean, that's hard to do. There's a lot of people that want to be quote social media influencers? Like, why do you think that it worked for you and doesn't work for so many others?
1: Not to like discredit myself, but I do think that like my content is very unique. I mean, how many other like moms are at a car dealership posting about their day-to-day life? So I think like the car world really got a lot of my traction, but I also just really decided that I was going to show up every single day. I was going to do it very consistently and I was just going to be myself. Like I think that social media can be so toxic with how curated some things look. So I didn't want to be that. And I also wanted it to be easy for me because like, it's a lot of work. I'm a full-time content creator and it is, I work 70 hours a week. Like I don't even want to pencil it because I think it would give me anxiety. So I thought like, if I'm going to do this, like I have to let perfection go and I just like have to show up and do it. So I just had to get more comfortable, like talking about what's going on with the global chip shortage, like while I'm in my pajamas with my kids in a cup of coffee. And like, I can deliver a message like that, just like someone else can do it when they're in full glam. So that's kind of how I've made it work for me is just consistency. And I've been able to be consistent, because I like integrated in my day to day life.
0: So let's talk about that change for your family. And as a mom of two, and overnight, now you're having to Make this content that is a ton of work, and I can appreciate that. I mean, it's it's one of my weaknesses creating content, and I have a full, large appreciation for people that can do it as full time job like you're doing. So, like, what was that dynamic at home as it's changing rapidly, and and Tyler's watching you evolve and this career happen?
1: I mean, it's been crazy, and it, we've definitely had the shift from like, okay, it's something that like I do to like, okay, this is now a huge part of our family's livelihood, which I'm happy that I'm not, not like taking on that burden alone, because yeah, it is a lot of work. And there are some things where it's like, hey, I don't want to have to work at 730. But like, I have to get this done, or I have to go on this call, or this is the only time this person can meet or this is the this is the peak time that I have to post. So we've really it's been very collaborative with Tyler and I to make it work for our family. You know, I think like when we started the car mom, I was like, you know, if I could just get like childcare and groceries paid for, like, wouldn't that be awesome? Which like, that would still be awesome. Like that's every mom's dream is like, do something they love and make a little bit of money on the side. But quickly, like the car mom has kind of evolved from influencer to startup. And now we have huge plans that are far beyond relying on me showing up on Instagram and telling everyone what I'm making my kids for dinner. So it's just like also working hard now to set the table so that eventually the car mom can exist And I don't have to be like influencing into my forties because because (laughs) I'm just like, I'm not going to have that bandwidth. I'm not sure that's something I want to do. And while I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, like I want to build a company, I want to build a brand that can exist without me. Cause you know, like also Instagram could get, I could get hacked tomorrow. It could all go away. So like we try to make sure we're diversifying our content and our audience enough on multiple platforms. And like I said,
0: building a brand instead of just building a blog. So there's a few things that I want to touch on in your statement. So you mentioned the peak time to post for maybe there's somebody out there listening that wants to be an influencer. When is the peak time to post? So it actually depends on your audience.
1: My audience does really well in the mornings and I do really well in the evenings. So I think like people who are scrolling Instagram, I have a lot of mothers, obviously, who follow me. And the best time for me to post is like when they're rocking or nursing or after their kids go to sleep. So I try to post like my big things like after 7 p.m. or we post early in the morning And, you know, sometimes I just don't have the headspace and I just get too excited and I just post something. But it just it kind of depends on like what the content is. Also, it's like since we have a whole merch line, we try to be selective about when we launch our merch because we want to be respective to working mothers, too. Like I'm not going to be an asshole and like post something at 1 p.m. on a Monday. Like if you're working, like you're not going to see it. So it's just depending on the content is when we try to post something.
0: Well, so then when you post then the DMs start to slide in, Maybe I shouldn't say slide and they, 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 slide they and end up in your, I mean, it's not that, <laughs> like creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so you start getting DMs and now you have to make time to try to respond to those. So are you responding to all those or do you have people helping you? Because I'm assuming you're getting thousands of them.
1: I respond to them, but I can honestly say I don't respond to most of them. Not because I don't want to, because I just like, I think my time is better served creating more content that can serve like a lot of people. So like, I love to spend time in my DMs and I do like to read them. I just can't always respond to them. And that's just like kind of a boundary I've had to set. You know, I think like when you ever, you're an entrepreneur and like you audit your time, I love connecting with people. And I, I was like loving going back and forth with people. But then, you know, if I'm going to spend two hours in my day, I mean, how many people can I possibly reach responding to DMs versus how many more people could I reach? How much how many more people could I help if I took that, a few of those DM questions and turned them into a reel or an Instagram story instead of responding?
0: Although I look at my DMs almost like my text messages, like an email, so it gives me anxiety if there's like a number floating around up there. So I, you've obviously just moved past that. I mean, like
1: mine like stopped updating. So it says like my requests are at like 99 plus, but it's probably
0: thousands of requests. Okay, that's that's funny. So Tyler, you mentioned that, you know, kind of went from this like part time, you know, if I can make a little money to now you're a major contributor to your family and i always you know say this with my husband like it really takes a strong confident man to be able to handle a very successful wife and potentially more successful than they are so i want to talk about your relationship with tyler and and how you manage to keep that that relationship strong and how he supports you
1: i mean it's such a good story so when we started the car. Tyler was always, I mean, like I said, it was kind of his idea. So he like loved the idea of it. And he's always been supportive about me being in the car business because he knows that I love it. But as like, we started doing some stuff with the car mom, you know, we thought about like, okay, well, I want to get my tours on YouTube. We're like, we need to get this name trademarked. And then quickly I realized I was like, oh my gosh, the trademark's going to cost $2,000. This camera I want is $1,500. And I didn't honestly think we had the money to spend on a passion project like that. So I was kind of talking to him about and I'm like, I don't know, like, you know, this is fun, but like, I don't think we can afford to like invest what we need to invest in it right now. So maybe I'll just like go back to keeping it on Instagram, whatever, not get it trademarked, whatever. And I told him that and he didn't really say much. I was like, kind of thought we were in agreements. And then the next day he came back and he had opened me up a bank account and he put $5,000 in it and handed me the debit card. He's like, we're all in, which was like, so cool, but so scary. Cause I was like, first of all, where did you get $5,000
0: from? <laughs> That's that side bank account you didn't tell you yeah. about. He <laughs> was
1: like, okay, no, even had that, but okay, sure. And
0: it was just
1: like, I couldn't believe how much he like believed in me. And same thing with my dad. I mean, my dad was like, oh, like I'll front you the money for the trademark. Like if you want, if you need to get it trademarked, he's like, I'll French you the money, I'll pay it back. So like everyone's just like believing in me to get this thing trademarked, which sounds so silly, but that was like the first step of me being like, well, I can't go back because like once it's mine, it's mine. So he did that. And then he's just like, continued to be, I mean, he is so, he's the biggest car mom fan. Like he has helped me every step along the way. Like we sell some merchandise, like I said, and while we don't do it at our house anymore, it was Tyler's job that every night after we put our kids to bed, he would go downstairs and he would ship out magnets for three hours.
0: How many magnets have you sold? Oh, I, mean, I, don't
1: know. I mean, that would have been a I mean, good thing uh, to look up.
0: How, like, how many hours of packaging do you think Tyler's done?
1: I mean, we would probably fulfill close to, like, maybe 3,000 orders a month. It was a lot of magnets, which (laughs) people, it's funny. But, yeah, I mean, the magnets have been good for us. So he's, like, helped me with things like that. Like, he's always been, you know, he's just, like, he's such a good hype guy. Like, he really is just, he takes my pictures for me. He will always, like, be in an Instagram story if I want him to be. And he's also been a huge part of really helping it grow, and I think that, I mean, I just I couldn't be luckier. And you're totally right. Like I know that there's so many men out there who wouldn't respond to it as well, and because I even see it in my life. Like Tyler will try to tell someone what I'm doing, and they'll be like, "Oh, so she's like a mommy blogger," and he's like, "No, not even. <laughs> no, mommy's
0: bringing home the bacon. That's yeah, what mommy's so it's doing. Like,
1: oh, like what? So she's got like a little Instagram page. Like so she just posts on it, and he's like, No." So it's like just been crazy to see, I think not only as like being a female entrepreneur, but also being in a not very traditional industry of like, I mean, I make most of my money on Instagram. Like that's weird for people to like comprehend. So, I mean, it's been so cool for our family. And I mean, I just can't believe like, I mean, not to sound, what's the word? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot of money and it's very exciting for our family. And I couldn't do it without him. He's also my accountant. So every at the end of the month, we have to like close out the month and it's exhausting because he'll be like, what'd you buy on Amazon? Where's the receipt? What'd you buy at Starbucks? Where's the receipt? Like he is, just it's a its a lie. I couldn't do it without
0: him. Well, I think the first time I met the two of you together, we were eating at Annie Guns with your parents after golf. And Tyler, for those that don't know, he's like farm guy, wears his cowboy boots. Like Country and your parents have a farm, and your farm and fancy. And your mom, I think, asked, "Do you like like country Kelly or bushy Kelly?" And he said, "I like bushy." And your mom's like, "Really? Like that wasn't what (laughs) she expected him to say." He's
1: really changed. Like he used to be a very. I mean, my husband's he owns rental properties, and he's also like does some contracting. So like he's super handy, and like we outsource. He doesn't even cut our own grass. Like he just like can't be the, so he just like hires it all. I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's funny. He's not the country boy I married. That's for sure. But that's okay. I still like him.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, you have chickens and he's got a diesel truck. So, I mean, he's, he's still a little country oh, no, 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 yeah.
1: it's, I mean It's still oh. in his blood, but he's definitely like, yeah, he likes the nice things now.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. So I bought a car yesterday. Oh. So I figured we could maybe talk about my experience. I technically have to go sign the papers yet, but. I've been waiting for this car for a year, so I think it'll give us the opportunity to talk about like what is going on in the car industry. Why did it take me a year to order a car and finally receive it? Oh my gosh, what car did you get? I got a Cadillac escalade. Oh, which I, lo- I love the escalades.
1: Yeah, so what's going on? I'm glad you asked so there is a there's supply chain shortages of hitting so many industries. The auto industry is no exception the thing that the auto industry is in desperate need of is microchips. Microchips are needed to make all the cool crap that's in these car these days. So like when I first like started reading about this, I thought it was like one microchip per car. Oh no, my friend. I bet your Cadillac Escalade has close to 3000 microchips in it. So it is a lot of chips. So it's like little things like remote start takes a chip. Your heated seats might take a chip. So like all those little features make the car. The microchip shortage has happened for a ton of reasons one during the pandemic i think everyone on the auto side kind of thought like auto sales were going to go slow so they kind of pulled back on their ordering also electronic sales really rose during the pandemic and the same chips that like are in your iphone and your computer and your tvs are the same chips that are that are in cars so like there was kind of a little competition for who gets the chips and then you know now we have the issue of not even having the supplies to build the chips It has caused a serious inventory shortage. I mean, if you drive past any car dealership, you'll notice the lots are empty. Cars are parked sideways, so like the lot looks more full. It's crazy. It's obviously made a huge hit on the new car market because they're just not able to make as many new cars. So to do that, they've tried to supplement with the used car market, which in turn has made the used car prices rise about 31%, which is a lot. So there is people whose used cars are worth more now than when they bought it. People are waiting a year plus for their vehicles to get in. It is a sketchy time to buy a car. You People are paying over MSRP.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask that. Like, so forget about negotiating a car these days, a new car. You're walking and paying MSRP for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, so 81% of new car buyers paid over MSRP last month. And I would imagine that number is much higher on SUVs because SUVs are kind of more of a hot commodity. I would imagine the SUVs overage on MSRP has to be in the nineties. I've been telling people like if you're 5k and under, like that's a killer deal. So if you're 5k over MSRP and under sign the papers, luxury cars, more expensive cars. I mean, I've seen, I mean, there's been some cars that have sold for $100,000 over MSRP. Like on the hot cars like some of the Ford Broncos or the G Wagons or
0: I was gonna say those G Wagons are. I mean a hundred K over MSRP. Which I don't I don't think the G Wagons you're even gonna be able to get in twenty twenty four or twenty three, right? Because they're sw- they have to switch the electric or something and they're too heavy to, oh, to switch I don't know. over.
1: I'll have to look at that. That kinda ruins my plans for twenty twenty-four, dang it.
0: Hey, that's my hashtag goal too, right there. I was like, You see if you see me in the G Wagon like Amy's doing fine. <laughs> That's what I want to. I, I, I drove one. It kind of rides like a tanker truck, but I'm like, I don't care. It looks good. So I obviously paid MSRP for the Escalade, but in the paperwork, I was just curious if this is normal admin fees of five hundred dollars.
1: Okay, so admin fees vary by dealership. So some dealerships they're five ninety nine. I think here at Suntrip we charge three ninety nine. It's not really a negotiable fee because legally they have to charge every customer the same amount for the administrative fee. People who say it's negotiable, like all they can do is lower the price by $5.99. No matter what you do, though, it will appear on your contract. So that's totally normal to have to pay that.
0: Okay. What about window tinting? Like I want the front two windows tinted. I've never had to pay for that with a new car. This car, I'm paying for it. $200.
1: Well, I you know, I think like when it comes to like doing add-ons, I always tell people like, it's money here, money there. Like the dealership's gonna have a cost on the window tint so they can either take money off the price of the car or you could just pay for the window tint. So it's not like, I mean, when a dealership's looking at a deal, like, you know, people are always like, but I got mats and a clear brought, like thrown in for free. I'm like, well, you didn't. Like you probably just (laughs) could have gotten the price. I mean, like, you know, it's, they have a bottom dollar they're gonna meet. So, I mean, yeah, if you paid MSRP and you have to pay for all those things extra, I still think you got it. I mean, I know people who, I personally know people just at a consultation last week, someone paid $25,000 over for an Escalade. Wow.
0: Okay. So maybe I'm feeling like I got a deal.
1: (laughs) The thing about buying a new car right now is I actually think, not that anyone can predict the future, I actually think it's a pretty decent investment because if you think about it, the new car market's going to stabilize before the used car market, right? Because new cars only need microchips. Used cars needed microchips like three years ago. So if you go to like trade your vehicle in, in three to four years, there wasn't a ton of 2022 Cadillac Escalade sold. So I would imagine that they are going to be in high demand and it will hold its value well.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk about that because I I typically lease my cars and I started that about three, four years ago. And I want to talk about the residual value. So do you think that you should purchase the car outright or do you think leasing is a better option or you think it's kind of like you're splitting hairs?
1: Typically, I recommend leasing, especially I recommend leasing for my following because they are such growing families. And like what you don't want to do is get into a seven-year loan on a $60,000 car and then have surprise twins and then realize like you don't fit in that car anymore. So I think for families, I'm a huge fan of leasing just for the flexibility of being able to upgrade when you need it. But I think right now with this chip shortage, especially if you're looking at a vehicle that you have to pay over MSRP for, let me ask you this question. Would you rather pay? $5,000 $5,000 over MSRP, or would you rather pay 55% of $5,000 over MSRP? So when you lease, you could argue that, yes, you're buying the car for the same amount, but you're only paying for a percentage of the overage.
0: And what about putting money down on a lease? Waste of time? Oh,
1: you never put money down on a lease for two reasons. One, you don't save any money, right? There's no interest rates on a lease. So it's like it'd be like putting money down before before you rent an apartment. Additionally, you don't want to put money down on a lease because yes, it will make your payment lower, but since you don't own the vehicle let's say you put down $10,000 because that was like your trade equity. And then you drive that car off the lot. And the next month you get in an accident and insurance totals out your car, you don't get that $5,000 back. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. So or $10,000 back. So yeah, you definitely don't want to put money down on
0: the lease. And what about the residual value? Should you be worried about the residual value of the lease? Or does it depend on if you're planning on turning it in or trying to buy it at the end of it?
1: The residual value pretty much determines if it's a good lease or not. So there are some vehicles, for example, like the Volkswagen Atlas is a car that I really like. Their residual value is so bad that sometimes the payments are cheaper if you purchase the vehicle. So if the residual is above 55%, I would say it's a good lease. If it's below 55%, I would say it's average. And if it's below 50 you should absolutely not lease it.
0: Okay, interesting. Because I think you know, he gave me a two-year and a three-year option on the lease. And I think one was like 49% and the other one said like 52%. So I shouldn't be doing, I want to say the shorter lease then would be the, I would have to look at the paperwork, you know. You
1: know, so the residual value is what it's going to be worth at the end of the lease. So like if it's a 49% residual value, then that means that you're paying for 51% of the car over the two-year lease.
0: Yeah, okay, I just, okay, the two-year deal is the better one. That's, now that I'm looking at it, the three-year deal is 49% of the value. Okay, so that's good to know. And with the mileage, you know, because I'm like a driving machine, so I do the highest mileage, what's your advice on that? Buy the extra mileage, pay the fee, or if you're trading or rolling into a new lease at the end of your lease, does the dealer always dock you those miles if you were just modestly over?
1: so again, I mean, if you go over on your mileage, you do have to pay. And I, again, I think it's kind of like splitting hairs on how you pay because again, they can say, oh yeah, like we'll waive the mileage. No, they won't. Cause they didn't pay for your miles. Cadillac paid for your miles. So like, they're just going to take any of the profit that they have and throw it on, throw it towards paying for your overage on the miles. I think that like, what's important to remember about going over on mileage is yes, it can be expensive, but if you're just on the cusp, it's not always that expensive. So like, for example, it varies brand to brand. Some brands tend charge 10 cents over for mileage. Some brands charge 25 cents. But if you think about it, like if you go over by a thousand miles, they're going to charge you 25 cents a mile. So it's 250 bucks. So again, I mean, again, if you're going to be thousands over, you're not in a good situation. But I actually tell people like, if you're on the cusp, I would go with the lower mileage and just know that you may have to pay a little bit over depending on how many miles you put on the
0: car. So what is your biggest beef right now with the car industry? Oh, my gosh. That's such a fun question to answer.
1: I think that I'm super frustrated how some manufacturers have handled the chip shortage and the lack of communication they've had with their dealerships. Not that I want to call out brands, but I'm absolutely going to. For example, Ford. I love Ford. I mean, my husband just bought an F-250 literally yesterday. Ford Expeditions, one of my favorite cars, but they have jacked their dealers around. They've told their dealerships they can take orders, and they have had done such a horrible job of delivering those orders i mean look at the look at the bronco customers i know people have been waiting a year and a half for their bronco there are parking lots of half built f-150s what are we doing with those ford now they're telling dealerships that they're going to be sending them half built cars and they'll send them the chips and when they have them so like that's just super frustrating and i think that the dealerships have really taken a lot of the heat because they have upset customers who have deposits on cars and we have no idea when they're getting them I'm just frustrated with the
0: lack of transparency and how much of the responsibility has had to fall on the dealerships. I totally, because that's just what I went through with the Cadillac, because I traded in my old Cadillac. I was leasing it, ready for a new one. I had pre-ordered it. I show up the day to turn in my Cadillac. There's no car for me to drive. So what am I doing? So I have to go buy another car. And then the dealer's like, oh, we lost our Cadillac. You know, you're having to convert over to electric. So we can't sell you your Cadillac anymore because we're not an authorized dealer. I'm like, okay, well, where's the one that I ordered? Move on to the next dealer. Exact same thing happens. Three dealers later, over a year later, I'm finally getting a car that's not even the one that I ordered. It's the wrong color, wrong interior. But I'm like, I'll take it at this point. I don't even care you're exactly right. So from the consumer perspective, it's so frustrating. And I'm sure the dealer is frustrated because I'm taking it out on the dealer when it's really Cadillac's problem, GM's problem.
1: And then, you know, another really frustrating thing about the auto industry, which is something recently I learned, is specifically I started to pay closer attention to the safety ratings and the crash test scores and things like that. And I was super Surprised to find out how those crash tests are actually ran and more importantly, who they're ran on. So they only crash test, NHTSA and the IHS only crash test, but they're only required to crash test on one type of person, and it's what the average male looks like. So it's a 5'10 dummy who weighs 180 pounds. So as a female who cares about families and children, we have no idea how women's bodies perform in these crashes. We have no idea how our children's bodies perform in these crashes. So they want to do all these things like give it five star ratings or say, this is the safest car. It's like, yeah, for the average man, but women and men are built differently. And for us not to have the information on how the average female body does in a crash, I think
0: is insane. Yeah, that's that's really crazy to think about. I mean, all these years, all these decades, and we've never put a female body in a crash test. And the crazy thing is, I
1: believe that some of these manufacturers have, especially Volvo, like they're very vocal that they do it. The problem is that those results don't go into if it's a five star. So- They could have done horribly on a woman's body. You have to remember that crash. And they could even say, oh, we crash test on women's bodies. Okay, crash tested does not mean it performed well. It means they did it, which means nothing. So that's another gripe. I'd like to see a little bit more exclusivity with those ratings. And I'd like to see NHTSA or IHS make it a requirement for these manufacturers.
0: I agree with you. I mean, that's crazy. And so where do you think that the car business is going? I mean, when do you think we're out of this shortage? When do you think things level out? When do you think that there's cars on the lots again? Good question.
1: I honestly don't think we're ever going to go back to how we were. I don't ever see a world where dealerships, where you roll up to a dealership on a Wednesday, say you want to look at a Kia Telluride and they show you the line of 25 they have. I honestly don't think we're ever going to go back to this because I think the manufacturers and the dealerships kind of like... Like not inventorying as many cars. I mean, it's definitely more cost effective. So I don't think we're ever going to have thousands of cars in stock again. I don't know when it's going to get better.
0: So do you think that COVID might have actually been some sort of a blessing in disguise for dealers? Because it's now people have to like physically place an order. They order exactly what they want. And like you said, dealers aren't aren't carrying as much inventory.
1: I think dealerships have enjoyed it because they think there's you know there's less negotiating, we're selling the cars, we're making more money on the cars that we're selling. So I think that's been good. I think from a consumer's perspective, though, it's, not, it's probably one of the worst things that could happen. I mean, I really sympathize with the families and the people who are car shopping who can't even find the cars to test drive. And I think that as dealerships, we need to do a better job of just having vehicles at least available to test drive. Like, I get that we can't. Inventory of the cars, but like there's families who don't even know if their family can safely fit in a Kia Carnival minivan. And like they just want to know if their family can fit and they can't even find the car to try it out. And dealerships are asking them to put down a non refundable $1,000 deposit just to test drive the car. So I don't like that. That makes me mad. As far as when I think it's going to get back to normal or at least better. I would say we're going to be dealing with this for a very long time. So, I mean, I have a lot of people who tell me, like, I don't want to buy this year. I'm just going to wait to buy next year. I actually don't think that's very good advice. I think that if you find the right car, I think the best thing you can do is to start the process way earlier than you would normally start it. So I've been telling people to start, like, six to eight months out so you can find the cars to test drive. That gives you plenty of time to order a car if that's the route you're going to go. I mean, just more and more things come out, like, especially if you look at what's happening in Ukraine obviously a horrible situation. And Ukraine hosts 90% of the world's neon gas and neon gas is what's needed to run the lasers to build the microchip. So it's just like every level of the supply chain is going to feel that and the auto industry is no exception.
0: So I think that when people go to a car dealer, they want to have a good buying experience and they want to feel good about their purchase. And they don't want to feel like they've been taken advantage of, right? I think that people always feel like, well, how much money is the salesperson making? And how much money is the dealer making? And people just want to feel like they got a good deal. So maybe shed some insight on that or what your advice is to the consumer or even your perspective from from your family owning dealerships or being a sales rep yourself. On
1: like how they can feel like they had a good deal?
0: Yes. And that maybe it's not as, maybe it's more transparent than what they actually think that it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, especially if we're talking about the used car market, like used vehicles are priced competitively online. I mean, I can tell you personally at our dealership, we spend thousands of dollars on software every single month to make sure our cars are priced appropriately. Same thing with new cars. Like we're just not doing the discounts because the supply and demand is so slim so what i tell people is it's like don't worry about the discount worry about the deal if you get no money off on a car but it was the only ford expedition within 500 miles and it was a fair price like you're not a bad negotiator you're a good car buyer that's a good deal so i think just kind of like shifting it from not worrying about the discount and worrying about the deal because negotiating off the admin fee or getting something thrown in or getting five thousand dollars off like that means nothing if it was five thousand dollars overpriced
0: Right, exactly. So I have on your podcast called The Carpool with your sister Liz. You guys do like a lot of games and stuff like that. So I thought that I would incorporate that here. And we're going to do like a little car game. And I don't want you to think about oh, it. You'll just kind of answer quickly. You know, I have less okay. than 10 things here. It's like this or that. And then you pick. Okay. Okay. So I'm excited. cream interior or black interior? Black interior. Ford Escape or Honda Civic? Ford Escape. Cadillac Escalade or Lincoln Navigator?
1: Lincoln Navigator. Oh, no. (sighs) But if I can say, that's the the Lincoln Navigator has a better car seat setup. So for me, it's the Lincoln Navigator, but I have two kids in car seats and I want more kids. So that's why I choose the Navigator.
0: Okay. Nissan Rogue or Chevy Equinox? Nissan Rogue. Electric car or gas car? Gas
1: car. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We're. Amy, hey, I mean, we're mid-Missouri. Like, if I lived on the coast, maybe I'd feel differently. But we just don't have the infrastructure out here to make use electric cars easy enough.
0: I know. I know. Bucket seats or bench seat? Bench seat. Really?
1: i kind of here. surprised
0: by that. Why? With the car seats or what?
1: Yes. Well, one, I feel like, why am I going to pay more to lose a seat? I also think that bench seats, again, not to be the safety police, but that's kind of what I'm being. I think a lot of the times in these mid midsize SUVs, families put down the third row to get more trunk space. But the problem is if you have captain's chairs and you put down the third row and then you go to Costco, now everything in your trunk is a dangerous projectile because you don't have a bench seat. So like, if you're asking me to have captain's chairs, put down the third row because the trunk space sucks, go to Costco and then have my rear-facing children
0: facing a trunk full of projectiles, I'm not going to do it. Good point. And that's my next this or that. Third row seating or a larger back-end storage area.
1: Larger trunk. That's why I also like a bench because if I have three kids... When I have three kids, like they're all going across the bench. I'm not doing this third row because how do you even buckle a kid in the third row? Again, my kids are young. They're only three and one. So I get that my kids are younger, but I'm team bench all the way. So SUV or car? SUV. Heated seats or cooled seats?
0: Heated seats. I hate cold seats. They make me feel like I'm peeing my pants.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't like that sensation.
0: I completely agree. And in the car that I had to buy in the interim to why I waited for the Escalade, the middle council was a cooler. I'm like, what even is this? Like, I, mean, I, I, can't, right. I can't do I anything that. with this. No, I hate that. <laughs> and then whenever you turn off the car, the cooler doesn't stay cold. So then I'm like, what is the point? <laughs> now it's 100 totally. degrees outside and the cooler's hot and then the totally, food inside stinks. I'm like, this totally is agree. totally pointless. But yet when I put my makeup and stuff in there, then it's ice cold. It's just a whole bunch of a whole bunch of drama. So I kind of want to wrap up here a little bit, talking just a a little bit more about your social media and just some tips and tricks that you would give people that are looking at you like, oh man, I want to be here. And not in that specific automotive segment or industry, but just like, how is she doing that? And kind of looking to you for some of those tips and tricks. So I don't know if you want to start with YouTube or Instagram or how how you want to go about this, but let's talk about, what you would recommend. And I think you told me like to be on social media, you had to be social, right? Like you got to talk to people and comment and stuff like that. So-
1: yeah, I think one of the biggest, so have, I have a couple of tips. I think one of the biggest ways to grow on social media is to be social. So start connecting with accounts that are of a similar size to you. Maybe t- talk about like sharing each other's content on your stories, just commenting on their posts. Like when I first started out, I found other micro influencers who had like, you know, a few thousand followers and I would be kind and I would like their content. I would comment and they would comment and we'd share things on each other. So you don't want to like do anything. I don't believe in like doing like paid shout-outs, like I think, or like buying your followers. Don't do that, but just be social. Connect with brands you want to work with. Like if you want to become an influencer and you want to work with a certain brand, follow them and comment on all their posts and DM them and like just be social. And then when you're creating content, I think that's a really good tip I have is you want to make sure your content hits one of the four E's. So the four E's of good content creation are: does the post engage? Does it educate, does it entertain, or does it empower? I think one's not enough. I think it's two or more. So if like you can make an engaging post that's educating, great. If you can do an entertaining post that's empowering, great. I'll give you an example. I literally just posted today because the Volkswagen Atlas, one of my favorite cars, has a giant recall on it right now. And I posted a funny sound of this person saying like, not me. I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. And then I said, just kidding, check the caption. So it was entertaining because I did a trending, funny sound, but then it was educating and empowering and engaging because then I put all the information about this recall and I asked people to share their experiences. So now it's an engaging post. And now I'm engaging in the comment section with people that other people can see my responses. The more engagement on the post, the more likely it is to go viral. So it's just making sure like your content brings one of the four E's so it's not like, and I mean, no offense to people who do this, but, like, I wouldn't post on my Instagram, like, like a cute picture of me being, like, with a cup of coffee saying, like, happy Thursday, because what does that
0: do? <laughs> well, that just doesn't
1: hit one of the four E's. So, I'm not saying I don't do that, but, like, now I have the following.
0: Yeah, and uh, about the real. So, you did something where you donated your real income to charity for the month. What was it like? So Instagram for certain level influencers were paying you to post on the reels? Or how does or is that the the average person can get paid on reels? I mean, how does that work?
1: I think I don't know. I'm a creator account, if that helps. Some creators I know had it, some didn't. I got it, which was cool. And Instagram is basically trying to take down TikTok. And they said, Hey, we'll pay you for your views, which I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like, I wonder how much money I can make. So so I wanted to like see how much money I could make. So I thought, said, okay, well, I'm going to need the help of my audience because I need people to like, comment and share the thing. So more money goes to charity. So I put that out on my story. I thought I'd make like 500 bucks. I ended up making $6,000.
0: That's amazing. And
1: we donated it all to friends of kid with cancer here in St. Louis. So it was, it was pretty cool.
0: So can you still get paid on those reels or was it just like a one-time thing? That- no,
1: I have gotten it back the other times, but I can't really say I do that much. So let me tell you what I'm at for the month. So for this month, I've had 1.9 million views on my reels, and I've made $1,100.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And then YouTube, you can get paid on the views, right? Once you cross a threshold, then you get paid for basically the life of that video, correct?
1: Yeah. So on YouTube, to get monetized, you need a 1,000 subscribers, and you need 4,000 watched hours. You need people to watch 4,000 hours worth of your content. It took us about four or five months to get there.
0: And that's not a lot of time. I mean, that is short. That's quick.
1: No, it wasn't. No, it's not a lot of time. And now different <clears throat> industries pay more money for those views. So automotive is the highest. So for every thousand views that we get, we get about $13. But other industries, it's like closer to 4
0: Okay. And then what other ways can you generate revenue through the social? Obviously, you have merchandise and that's different, but like I see people do that, like to know it or Amazon links or where, where are other good sources of revenue?
1: Yeah, we have a lot of streams of income. Our merchandise is our number one. So, we magnets, we sell sweatshirts, we sell some of the car related merchandise. And then my second is normally my partnerships. So, I've been, I have an agent she negotiates all my partnerships for me. And I'm lucky to work with some killer brands. So like this year I have a contract with Edmonds. I have a contract with Continental. I have a contract with Ally. All these like three big players in automotive and I get paid to create content for them on my social channels.
0: Did you have an agent before you got to the level of where you're at with the followers or did you hire the agent or she approached you once you got to a certain level?
1: My agent hit me up at 20,000 followers. She focused on micro influencers. Obviously like when, when it started, I charged like, $300 $300 for a story set in feed post. And now my rates are a lot higher than that. So it's been fun to kind of grow with her and like go after partners who we really want to work with. Like I say no to probably 90% of the offers we get because I'm so selective because obviously like my authenticity and my relationship with my followers, is everything that I have. So I'd never promote a product that I didn't love or work with someone I didn't love. What kind of products are you promoting right now? So I do some like motherhood related things, obviously, so what's the one that I just did? I've done like a couple of strollers. So some cool like double strollers. I have this like wagon that I'm doing a whole entire YouTube video on for them. And then I do some lifestyle content. Like I use this skincare. I love the skincare. I reached out to them. I said, hey, do you want to work together? Can you give my follow me a discount code? They said yes. So I'll do some
0: little things like that. And if they give you a discount code, then you, do you get paid on how many people use the discount code type of thing? It
1: depends on the promotion.
0: Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't.
1: Depends on what they are. Okay. So yeah, that's that's wild. And then I also do consultations. So I do personalized car buying consultations. I do a few of those a week. We have affiliate links. So we have like to know it. We get paid on Amazon. And I think all this stuff is so interesting. And I love shit. Like I have no grievances with telling people how influencers get paid because like people are trusting them. Like I don't know why people are so weird about it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think money is always like an awkward conversation because it's like, well, how much money do you make? Well, in a traditional setting, people would be like, oh, I'm not telling you. that. No,
1: I know it is. It is awkward. But they're also just like, so do you get paid for that? And I'm like, yes, but it's interesting. I don't know how to navigate it. And I don't want to be like rude and talk about it. But I also want to put transparency in it. And I also I think it's fair for everyone to understand, like, I have a business. So what the what the business makes and what I make are not the same things. I have employees, we have a lot of expenses. My manager gets a percentage of the deals that she brings me. So it's not like I'm walking away with what I gross every month, obviously. Like no one is.
0: Is there anything that drives you crazy or that you would change about the YouTube or Instagram platform? Because it's so much a part of your work that it's like like something that just drives you absolutely crazy about it?
1: Well, I think that sometimes on Instagram I don't always understand the algorithm and I try not to be like the person who blames A success or not success on the algorithm. But like, I could show you numbers, there are times when my stories reach 100,000 people. And there are times when they reach 40,000 people. And like, I don't know why one is one or the other. But it's frustrating as a creator, because, you know, brands will ask to see insights before they agree to do a promotion with me, I send them insights. And then like, next thing you know, Instagram didn't show my content to more people.
0: Yeah, so it's part of that nerve wracking for you, so that so much of your livelihood is hinged on something that you can't fully control.
1: A little bit. I think Instagram is better than other platforms, though. Like, I am not a big TikTok person because if you look at any big account on TikTok, their views vary so much that it TikTok's fun to go viral on. But I don't think TikTok's the best way to own a, to have a social media business by any means. And we really just do try. We really try to do a good job of diversifying our content enough. So, like, we have a good email list. We've done a good job of collecting our email list. We've got the podcast. We've got the YouTube. We have a great website. We have Instagram. So if like one platform starts failing, I feel like I can at least pay my bills on other platforms.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I've had so much fun talking to you today and you know, deep diving into the car business and being an influencer. So just wrapping up here, what does 2022, 2023 look like for the car mom? You know,
1: I think that I, I really wanna grow my team. I'm really passionate about like giving specifically mothers like a more flexible work environment. I mean just like the mothers that I've connected with like what I think a mom can get done in a 2 hour nap is what I think some 22 year olds can get done in like an 8 hour day. So, I mean, true. It's so true. Oh my gosh, it's so in- true. including 22 year old Kelly. Like I can't believe what I used to think took me 8 hours to get done. Now I'm like, okay, let me do this really fast. So and I just I get frustrated at corporate America. You know, school gets out at 3 and corporate America goes till 5. K, why? you know the doctor's office closes at 4:30 for your kids KY so there's just so much untapped potential that are in these mothers who have chosen motherhood over the career but who feel like they have some things to give so I've it's been really on my heart to hire mothers and I've been lucky enough to hire some as like some contractors to do some copywriting for me and I can't tell you like the applications I got when I put that position out I probably got close to 200 applicants and they were people who had master's degrees, who's had 10 plus years of manager experience. And like, they just want to do something they're passionate about and be a mom. And they just feel like they don't have that flexibility. So I don't know why the rest of the world is sleeping on moms. I'm certainly not. And I hope to hire a lot of moms, offer the flexibility and take over the auto world, honestly.
0: I mean, I, I love it. And I agree with you because even though we're a men's health clinic, we're ran by 90% females. And my husband travels a lot. So I was in charge of getting our son to school, picking him up from school. So our hours at the clinic reflect that. Like, we don't start till 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, why is that? Because I have 25 mothers that work for me. And they're all trying to get their kids to school and deserve that and shouldn't have to sign up for, you know, morning child care if they want to be the ones that drive their child to school. Like you have to have some flexibility in the career and be able to hire the right people for the job. So I love, I love where you're headed there and, and what you're thinking because you're spot on there. Like do not underestimate the power of a mama. No, I mean, I, I, yeah. So I can't wait to hire more moms and just
1: continue to grow my platform. I want the car room to be a household name and I want to continue to like run this as a startup. Like I'm looking at what car and driver and motor trend are doing. I'm like, well, why can't the car mom do it as well? So, like you know what? I think so too. So that's that's my plan.
0: Okay, well, I love it. And and I'm I'm rooting for you over here and for you and Liz's podcast. And I'll link all these things in the bio in the show notes so people can check you out. And I really appreciate your time today, Kelly.
1: Me too. Thanks so much, Amy. It's been such a, probably one, I do probably like one or two podcast interviews a week. This is probably one of my top 10. I love talking about the auto in the influencing world. So you had great questions.
0: (laughs) Thank you, I appreciate it.